Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Let's, uh, let's read uh, this section of scripture. 1 Kings. When the time drew for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations, as written in the law of Moses. Do this so you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. So let's uh, join me in prayer, will you? Lord, we are uh, thankful that we can uh, gather here this morning as part of the family of God, the, the worldwide family of God, to worship you and give you praise. And uh, we thank you for the privilege to uh, uh, look into your word this morning. Thank you for the privilege to uh, rejoice with those that rejoice. And Lord, as we rejoice with those that rejoice, we know that in the circle and cycle of life, there's also times of uh, sorrow. As Solomon writes um, in Ecclesiastes, there's a time to be born, there's a time to die. And so we pray for those that are grieving um, this morning. May your grace and strength and peace be theirs today. May you be their rock, their fortress, their encouragement. May they know that they're not alone as they walk through the difficult, difficult days ahead. And Lord, we thank you that we can commit them to you. Lord, we just pray now that you would open up our eyes and minds to your word this morning. And uh, may you speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First Kings. So if you have your Bibles and want to turn to First Kings chapter 2, we're going to look for the next uh, five or six weeks about into the life of... Uh, a king by the name of Solomon, the wise king who became foolish. And that's kind of the, the overall title. And we're going to jump into 1 Kings chapter 2 and uh, begin to look at the, the life of Solomon this morning. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10 says the Old Testament was written for our example uh, so that we can learn. And Solomon is a positive example because he started out his reign very very well but he he didn't finish well so we can learn some positive things from solomon we can also learn some um what not to do from the failures of uh, of king solomon and so uh king solomon this wise man who eventually uh drifted away from god and did not finish well but he got off to a great start and we're going to look at that uh, that great start uh, here in First uh, Kings uh, chapter uh, two, and uh, just a little bit of a brief history of the nation of Israel. Though uh, early on in Israel's history, God ruled them through judges. You read through the books of First uh, Samuel and Second Samuel, and God raised up judges to to um, uh, help guide the nation of Israel, and, and God was their king. It was a theocracy. And so we read in the book of Judges about Samson and Deborah and Barak and Samuel. But it got to a point in the Old Testament where Israel grew a little restless. 
They were, they were looking at Samuel's sons as Samuel was getting older and uh, they weren't very impressed with them. And so they came to Samuel and they said, hey, we, we really want a king like all the other nations around us. And Samuel felt rejected and God said, hey, they haven't rejected you, they've rejected me because God wanted to be their king. And so God gave them the desires of their heart. God gave them kings, and we know that uh, Saul was the first king, and then uh, David was king number two. David followed Saul, and David reigned for, for 40 years, but now David's at the end of his reign, and he's getting ready to pass the baton, and the baton is going to be passed to his son Solomon, the last king under the United Kingdom. Because after Solomon reigns, and his reign was 40 years long as well, the kingdom split, the kingdom divided. There was two rivals, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, and and now the nation of Israel splits into 10 tribes in the north and two tribes in the south, uh, Judah, and they have two kings. So Solomon is the last king over the united kingdom of Israel And uh, date-wise, we're about 1,000 B.C., about 1,000 years before Christ. And in 1 Kings chapter 2, David gives a charge to Solomon. Uh, In fact, in my NIV Bible, that's the the subtitle over 1 Kings chapter 2, David's charge to Solomon. Now, we don't use the word charge very often in our English language. I looked it up in the American Heritage Dictionary. A charge is to place a burden on to entrust with a duty, responsibility, task, or obligation. To to entrust somebody with a duty, responsibility, task, or obligation. If you ever go to a... uh, an ordination service where someone is being ordained to go into the ministry and you look at the order of service, there's usually a charge to the candidate and then a charge to the congregation. It's, it's a formal challenge to, to the, the one who's going into the ministry and it's a formal challenge to, to the church as, as, the, uh, as they ordain and install um, a pastor. Paul gave a charge to his son in the faith, Timothy, in the second Timothy chapter four. And he says, I charge you to preach the word. Be faithful in season and out season. Timothy, uh, preach and share God's word. So as we come to first Kings chapter two, and it's, uh, it's David's charge to his son, who's going to be the new king of Israel. And he gives him three charges. And we're going to look at uh, the first one. And the first charge is to be strong. Be strong, verses 1 and 2 from 1 Kings chapter 2. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to his son Solomon. I am about to go the way of all the earth. I'm about to die, he said. So be strong. There's the first, there's the first admonition. There's the first charge. David says to Solomon, uh, you're going to follow me as the king, as the leader of Israel. Solomon, I want you to be strong. Now, what does David mean by that? He's not talking about physical strength. He's talking about spiritual strength. 
We remember Joshua, who was Moses' successor. And in, in Joshua chapter 1, Moses is passing the baton to Joshua. And there in Joshua 1, 6 through 9, three times it says, Be strong and courageous. Joshua, be strong and courageous. Thirdly, be strong and courageous. And Joshua and the nation of Israel had a huge task in front of them. They were about to enter into the promised land and cross the Jordan River, and they had all the Canaanites that uh, they were going to have to uh, do battle with. And so um, Moses to Joshua, be strong. And what does it mean to be strong? When, when David says to Solomon, be strong, and what does it mean to us? Well, I think he's talking about spiritually. Number one, we need to be strong in our belief. We need to know what we believe. We need to know the truth of God's word. We need to know the, the fundamentals of the faith. And so it's, it's being strong in our belief. And uh, Paul writes about that in, in, in the book of Ephesians. And he says, as we mature in our faith and as we know uh, more and more about God and who he is, that we won't be tossed to and fro like the wind and, and, and with every cunning belief and doctrine that comes along, but we'll be strong in what we believe. I think it means to be strong in spiritual battle. There is a spiritual battle that's going on in our in our uh, world today. And uh, again, Paul writes about it in Ephesians chapter 6 in that uh, very familiar passage, the, um, the, the armor of God. And he writes and he says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Uh, put on the full armor of God. And, and he encourages... Um, uh, the Ephesian believers to be strong in the spiritual battle and, and don't be ignorant of Satan's schemes. It's, uh, the King James uses the word the wiles of the devil. The NIV says the schemes of the devil. It's the word methodia. You need to be aware of Satan's methods. And Satan's schemes are that of disappointment, that of discouragement, that of deception, that of division and doubt, and Satan uses all of those. And so uh, Paul writes and says, hey, you need to be strong, not only in your belief, but you need to be strong in the battle, and you need to put on the, the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, and, and praying always, because there's a spiritual battle that's going on in our lives. I think it also means to be strong, not only in our belief and not only in the spiritual battle, but to be strong in our behavior. Um, First Chronicles 28, as David is giving this, this charge to Solomon, he also passed on to Solomon the, the task of building the temple. Remember that David wanted to build the temple and and he had that in his heart to do, and, and God said, no, David, uh, that's, that's not going to happen, David. You're a man of war. You're a man of battle. But your son's going to do it. And so in First Chronicles 28, it says, consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house as the sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. David's talking to Solomon. <laughs> Be strong and do the work God's called you to do. And so to be strong means we're strong in our belief and we're strong in the, the spiritual battles, but we also need to be strong in the behavior and the task that God has called us to do. 
which is to go into all the world and make disciples. And in Solomon's case, he was to be strong in building the temple, and he built that. He did build that temple. It took him seven years, and it was a glorious, magnificent temple uh, that Solomon built. Well, that's the first charge that David gave to Solomon: uh, uh, "Son Solomon, I need you to be strong, and I need you to fulfill the task that God's called you to do." But secondly, he gives him another uh, charge. And uh, it's uh, found here in First Kings uh, chapter two, and Solomon um, or David goes on to tell Solomon uh, these words: "Be strong." And then uh, the next phrase here is, "Act like a man." Solomon, I want you to act like a man. That's that's interesting phrase phraseology. That's the, the NIV. Maybe you're. A particular translation may something say something different, but uh, be strong, act like a man. First uh, Corinthians sixteen thirteen in the ESV, Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and he says, "Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like a man." And so David tells his son Solomon to act like a man. One of Satan's attacks in our culture today is. Uh, we don't even know what that looks like today. I don't even know the definition of what a man is. And in, in our American culture, uh, there's the, the gender fluidity where people think they can, they can choose their gender. Genesis 1.26 says God created man in his own image, male and female. And today there's a great amount of confusion and there's certainly confusion about well, what does this even look like? What does biblical manhood look like? And so Solomon is given the charge to act like a man. Uh, John Piper and Wayne Grudem wrote a book entitled Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womenhood. Uh, let me share a couple paragraphs that, from that book. Uh, They write, Jesus exemplifies biblical manhood. In the New Testament, he made a whip and drove out those who were taking advantage of people in the temple courts. Jesus stood up for a woman caught in adultery. He called out the Pharisees for their hypocrisy. Matthew chapter 23, uh, woe, seven woes to the, the religious leaders. In the book of Revelation, Jesus returns riding a white horse with all the armies in heaven following him. It says he will strike the nations down and he will return as king of kings. So Jesus, the life of Jesus exemplifies a man. But this morning we're going to look at just four quick thoughts about what biblical manhood might, might look like just from scripture. And uh, so let's, uh, let's look at the first one, the four characteristics of authentic manhood. Uh, characteristic number one, when David tells Solomon, act like a man, what does he mean by that? Well, here's the first thought. It means to reject passivity, to reject passivity. One of the, one of the things that, that um, so much characterizes sometimes manhood today is that men can become very, very passive. And uh, God uh, made man to be not passive, but an initiator. We inherited this from um, Adam, our original father. 
Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, the story in the Garden of Eden. You're familiar with it. Satan's coming and he's tempting, tempting Eve. God's given them full reign in the garden. They can have every, every tree, every fruit in the garden, but one, one restriction, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan comes along and he begins to, to, to tempt Eve and he begins to, uh, deceive Eve. And, uh, we're, we're familiar with it, and it says, When she saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So here's Adam in the Garden of Eden, and, and he's heard the instructions. In fact, it says in, in Genesis 2.15, and 16, the Lord commanded Adam, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. God told Adam that. And here's Eve being tempted by Satan, and Adam's standing right there. He should have said, don't do it, stop, because when you eat of that, you're going to die. And Adam just stood there and became very, very passive. Secondly, uh, biblical manhood, uh, what does it look like? We not only reject passivity, but we accept responsibility. Uh, Genesis 3.12, and they, they both partake of the fruit. And then, uh, you know, God comes uh, walking in, in the garden in the cool of the day. And uh, he says to Adam, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Okay. It's, it's accountability time, responsibility time. And what does Adam do? The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Now all of a sudden, they start to pass the blame. The blame game starts. Oh, you know, it was, it was Eve's fault. You know, she gave it to me and so, um, you know, I ate it. He begins to, to pass the blame, to not take responsibility. And one of the, one of the uh, characteristics of biblical manhood is to reject passivity, but it's also to accept responsibility. It was President Harry Truman to have a sign on his desk in the Oval Office, and the sign read, The buck stops here. <laughs> and he's basically saying, I, I, I'm the President of the United States, so ultimately I'm responsible. And uh, biblical manhood takes responsibility accepts responsibility for spiritual leadership in the home god holds the husband uh, uh, responsible for spiritual leadership in the home and we need uh, we need biblical men who will say like joshua did as for me and my house we're going to serve the lord uh, there, there's there's no options here sunday morning we're going to be in church it's, it's, it's part of the spiritual responsibility. And as long as you're under my roof and under my spiritual guidance, we need to worship together. We need to serve together. That's biblical manhood. It accepts financial responsibility. It accepts responsibility as a parent, as a father. One of the tragedies in our culture today is, is um, you know, unwed Moms and, and fathers that take no responsibility for their children. It's a huge problem in America. 
And so, um, biblical manhood accepts um, responsibility. Uh, thirdly, uh, they lead courageously. They lead courageously. Um, God designed men to, to lead, and and um, Joshua chapter one, and we've already looked at these verses in Joshua chapter twenty four. Um, Joshua was a courageous leader, and they went in and they they conquered Canaan under his leadership. And then lastly, uh, the fourth characteristic we need to move on here is that uh, a biblical man lives for the eternal. He's got his priorities in order. He realizes that, as 2 Corinthians 4 says, that the things that that we see uh, are the things that we own in our life and we see with our hand, uh, our eyes and touch with our hands are, are temporary. And, and let me just go ahead and read 2 Corinthians 4. Um, 16 through 18. Outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. And Paul says, hey, we need to focus on um, the eternal uh, we need to focus on the things that are going to last for eternity. It was Jim Elliot who died as a martyr at the hands of the Aka Indians in Ecuador. And he said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It, it's the story of the, the rich fool in Luke chapter 12 that uh, Jesus told that familiar story. And uh, here's a man who... who uh, lived his, his whole life, and he had to tear down his barns to build greater barns to store all of his surplus, and, and he had his life all planned out. And he said, I have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going to enjoy life. I've done all this um, planning. I've got all the abundance of possessions. And Jesus, God said to him in verse 20, You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. And so um, biblical manhood uh, rejects passivity, accepts responsibility, leads courageously, and lives for the eternal. Well, the third charge that uh, that David then gave to Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 2, not only to be strong, not only to act like a man, but observe what the Lord requires. Verse 3, look at it. So be strong and act like a man and observe what the Lord your God requires. And then he, he elaborates. What does God require? He says, walk in obedience to him. Keep his decrees, commands, laws, and regulations. Now, for Solomon, that would have that would have been the, the five books of the Pentateuch. That's about all that was written scripturally. Maybe it might have been a few other verses in our books in the Bible. Uh, for us, it's it's all sixty six books. We we've got the the completed revelation of of God. Walk in obedience. Keep his commands. You see, this was, and this was eventually um, Solomon's downfall. 
Solomon got into power and he began to gradually drift away from, from God. And we're going to see some influences in his life that, that, that brought him in, away from, from God and his truth. But in Deuteronomy 17, uh, God gave some instructions uh, to the nation of Israel, uh, requirements for the king. When you do have a king, and uh, there's a whole list beginning in verse 14 uh, through 20, but let me just read part of it. It says, when he, the king, takes the throne of his kingdom, so when, when the king of Israel is on his throne, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him, and he is to Read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord as God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees. So God said when when the, a king comes, and there are a lot of other regulations in there, but he says one of the things I want him to do is write for himself a copy of God's word, and I want him to read it. And I want him to, I want him to read it on a regular basis and follow it. And so the third charge that, that David gave to Solomon is, is to observe what God requires and obey his, his commands and obey his statutes and obey his decrees. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is if we know what's in this book and what God has commanded us and, and encouraged us through his commands to do. And it's a wonderful truth that when we do that, God promises blessing. It's it's all through it's all through the scriptures. Joshua, uh, that passage in Joshua chapter one, where uh, Joshua is told to be strong and courageous, and then verse eight, keep this book of the law, meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Joshua, you want to have prosperity and success, not not materially, but but spiritually in your life? Then meditate on God's word and obey it. Same truth is found in Psalm chapter 1, the opening psalm of of the book of Psalms, that familiar psalm. Uh, Blessed is the one uh, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, what prospers? God will prosper you. God will bless you. It's talking about spiritual blessing. James chapter 1, verse 25. Uh, the person that's blessed is the person that not only hears God's word, but puts it into practice. Revelation chapter 1. Uh, there's a, a promise giving, a blessing from God for anyone who reads the words of the book of Revelation. And so David charges Solomon to be strong, to act like a man, and to follow and obey God's truth. And he started well, but he didn't finish well. And we'll look at that in the days to come. Well, this morning we're going to look at four life lessons from 1 Kings chapter 2 and uh, David's uh, 
charge to Solomon. So uh, let's look at him as we uh, conclude this morning. Four life lessons from 1 Kings chapter 2. And here's the first one. It's uh, from uh, verse verse um, 1 and 2. In 1 Kings 2, it says, When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son, I am about to go the way of all the earth. And so what's the context of this whole charge that David gives to Solomon? The context is, a, is the context of David's dying. David, David's at the end of his life. And David knows that he doesn't have much time left, and so he wants to pass these truths on to Solomon. And as we think about it, we realize as we live life, as we read Scripture, we realize and ultimately have to face our own mortality. Hebrews 9.27, For it is pointed unto man once to die. Uh, Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, in this way, death came to all people. And so we all, at some point in our life, have to wrestle with the fact of our own mortality. It's written about in the Psalm of Moses in Psalm chapter uh, 90, the oldest psalm and. Moses is looking at the death all around him and that death march that really was the wilderness wanderings and, and uh, people are dying all around him because that whole generation has to die off as God's judgment before they go into the promised land. And uh, Moses says, hey, we may live to be 70 or 80 or longer, but eventually we're all going to die. And then his prayer request is this in Psalm ninety twelve: teach us to number our days. So we may live a life of wisdom. Someone paraphrased that to say, help us count our days so we can make our days count. And so life is short. Life is brief. We must all face our mortality. And that means um, knowing for sure uh, what's beyond the grave. And that's the good news of the Bible. That's the good news of the, the gospel. It's called the good news. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And when we repent of our sins and put our faith in Jesus and Jesus alone he forgives us of our sin and we pass from spiritual death to eternal life and that's the news that uh, that God has given us to not only personally receive Christ as our savior to, but to share it with uh, with others secondly a uh, life lesson we need to seize the opportunity to speak words of love life and truth to people Here's, here's Solomon. He's, he's, he's gonna be the next king and his father David is dying and <clears throat> David, um, seizes the moment to have a heart to heart talk with his son. And, uh, very soon David's gonna die. But, uh, David seizes the opportunity to speak words of love and life and truth. And so he tells him, hey Solomon, be strong and, and act like a man and, and obey God. Um, reminds me in the Old Testament of Genesis chapter 49, where we read of uh, Jacob at the end of his life. Jacob was an old man, and 
He asks for all of his sons to be gathered around him. And you can read it in Genesis 49. He goes around to each son one by one and he pronounces a blessing on them before he dies. He speaks words of love and life and truth. And boy, how we need to uh, take the opportunity to those that are close to us and those that we know and those that we love and uh, seize the moment to speak words of love, life, truth, and appreciation. I remember last summer, um, my dad was in the Rest Haven home there in uh, Grand Rapids, and uh, we knew that that his his time was getting short, and so every time I went across the other side of the state, either on the way back uh, over there or on the way back here, Every weekend I stopped to, to, that I drove by to, to visit my dad because I knew that the time was short. And uh, many of our other family members did. And um, uh, they finally enabled us to have some outside visits. And so would make an appointment. There'd be a little courtyard there. Um, my mom would wheel out my dad in, in a wheelchair. And uh, um, he would be in a wheelchair with a blanket around him and have a a, a brief visit, and then um, if if family members were there on the visit, my my stepmom would prompt my dad and say, "What do you want to tell your son?" You know, and he was battling with with his memory and Alzheimer's. Um, hey, do you have anything you want to tell your grandson? Do you have anything you want to tell your granddaughter? And he would sit there and think for a moment. And we've got some of this on video, and and he would come up with some great words of. Of, of blessing and encouragement that he would would pass on, and uh, uh, got that opportunity to pronounce uh, blessings. And boy, how we need to seize the opportunity uh, for those that um, we know and love to speak words of life. Uh, there's a song by by. Uh, artist Toby Mack, and it's entitled Speak Life, and let me read the words, speak life, speak life to the deadest, darkest night, speak life, speak life when the sun won't shine and you don't know why, look into the eyes of the brokenhearted, watch them come alive as soon as you speak hope, you speak love, you speak life, and he's talking about speaking words of hope and encouragement into the lives of others. And it's not just those that, that, that are our family members, but it's, uh, it's one another. We all need words of encouragement, don't we? We all need those words of, of, of blessing and encouragement. And um, Proverbs says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so we need to, to speak words of encouragement. Uh, thirdly, um, the key to God's blessing in our life is obedience. And we've already pointed this out, but it's, it's so clear there. In First um, Kings two three, uh, walk in obedience to God. Keep His decrees and commands, laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. Here it is. It's that linkage. It's all through the Bible. The key to God's blessing is not just hearing God's word, but it's doing it. It's walking in obedience to God's truth. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 28 and God lays out for the, the nation of Israel very very uh, clear instructions in, in Deuteronomy 28 
and uh, look at that chapter sometime. The first uh, 14 verses, the subtitle is Blessings for Obedience. And God says to Israel, if you want my blessing, this is what you need to do. You need to obey. But then the, the chapter turns in verse 15. However, if you do not obey your Lord your God and carefully follow his commands and decrees, all of these curses will come on you and overtake you. Uh, and the rest of the the rest of the chapter, all the way through sixty eight, is God's um, judgment on the nation of Israel because they didn't follow God. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You're gonna start losing battles, and uh, and on and on the the chapter uh, goes. The Lord will drive you and the king you set over you to a nation unknown to you or your ancestors. There you will worship other gods, gods of wood and stone. Um, All these uh, judgments of God if you don't obey. And so the key to blessing is to obey. Lastly, uh, fourth life lesson from 1 Kings chapter 2 is this, that our choices in life have a multi-generational impact. Our choices in life have a multi-generational impact. Uh, Again, back to 1 Kings 2, do this that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. This is David speaking, the promise to David. If your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. God's saying to, to, to David, and David's saying to Solomon that, uh, hey, if you, if you follow God, if you follow his commands, then you'll never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. The choices that we make have a multi-generational impact. And the choices that we make today to, to, to follow God and to obey Him will have a ripple effect for generations to come. And the opposite is true as well. So Paul writes to Timothy, and he talks about Timothy's spiritual heritage. And he says, the faith that is in you, Timothy, was first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now it's in you, Timothy. Three generations. It starts with a grandmother. It was passed on to Timothy's mother, and now it's in Timothy's life. Psalm 78 is a great psalm that talks about the multi-generational impact of of God's uh, truth and God's blessing in Psalm 78, the Psalm of Asaph says, We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. His power, the wonders he's done, his statutes, his commands to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. And so Asaph says, You need to tell your offspring about God's truth, God's blessings, God's great works, so that they'll come to know God, so they can tell their kids, so they can tell their kids. So the next generation, there's like five generations there. 
And so the choices we make, uh, whether to follow God or not follow God, have a multi-generational impact. And so David says to Solomon, be strong. Act like a man. Solomon, I want you to read this book and follow it and obey it. And God will bless you. And God will bless the generations to come. Let's, Let's pray together, shall we, this morning? Lord, it's um, sometimes easy to start well in the Christian life, and certainly Solomon started well. It's quite another thing to finish well. And Lord, I, I pray that uh, wherever we are this morning on our, on our spiritual walk, on our spiritual journey, whether we've been saved uh, um, uh, relatively recently or maybe we've been walking with God for a long time, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be strong in the faith. Lord, help us to be strong in your word. Help us, help us to be strong in, in doing your work and strong in encouraging one another. Lord, help us to realize what biblical manhood is. Not to be passive or not to shift blame, uh, but to live life, uh, uh, proactive and accepting responsibility and living a life for what it really matters, the eternal. And Lord, help us to realize that um, the key to blessing is to walk in obedience to you, to trust and obey, for there's no other way to, to experience the blessings of walking with you than to trust and obey. So may we be encouraged today to walk in your truth and to live for you and uh, to continue to do that until uh, Jesus returns or until you uh, call us home someday. We'll praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.